Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode on Here Comes the Sun podcast. Today I have with me Lupe. Welcome to the podcast, Lupe. Hola, I'm super excited to be here and to, you know, do this conversation with you. Yes, I'm so excited. I've been, you know, seeing your content with Luna Counseling and just so many great, you know, resources that you put out there. So I know that my guests um, will really appreciate this conversation. So to get us started, you know, Lupe, tell us a little bit about, you know, your upbringing, maybe a little bit about, you know, your educational journey. And, you know, and lastly, I guess, you know, all in between what it meant to you, um, you know, being a first gen navigating, you know, higher education. Yeah, so to kind of go with the height of Encanto, I kind of lately have been enjoying saying that I'm a recovering Luisa. <laughs> and um, really what that what that means for me is that um, I think it was like 2014, I made the decision to leave my home, which is Southern California, and to leave my parents and my family. Um, and it wasn't anything negative. It was more for a you know life stage. I wanted to figure out who am I, aside from being a daughter, you know, uh, a daughter that raised her siblings, you know, being the oldest, being responsible, um, and, you know, going to college. So I left to pursue graduate school. Um, and it really was to figure out who I was, you know, and um, once I left graduate, once I left Southern California and started enrolling for graduate school, uh, up here is really where I started to find my identity and kind of recover from the pressure and some of the expectations that like, you know, you experience as like a Luisa, you know? Um, and that's really also where I started my um, mental health journey, where I started to learn how to set boundaries, how to be able to talk to my parents, how to be able to heal from just intergenerational um, and things from the past. And so for me as a first gen, what that means to me is, you know, having to navigate college, financial aid, a lot of firsts. Right. And then moving up here, having to navigate adulting, right, having a job, um, going to graduate school when when my family didn't really necessarily understand what graduate school was. Right. Or my dad. Um, it was funny when I would say, oh, you know, voy a ser una terapeuta. And, and he'd be like, ¿Por qué quieres trabajar con los locos? Eso, eso no es para ti. That's not a good job for you. Like you want to work with crazy people and, you know, really speaking to that um, stigma in the Latino community, right? That our parents don't really have a lot of experience with their therapy and they don't really know. So I had a lot of first, a lot of first experiences. And, and in many ways, I still do being a first generation business owner and having to navigate private practice and all of the things that come with owning a business and, and, and not always having answers and having to struggle to figure things out. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the Luisa, the recovering Luisa is such <laughs> a good, a good, a good point. And I think, you know, when, when you leave the nest or when you leave your parents home to go adventure or, or, or go, you know, go to graduate school, I mean, you know, some people do it way before, you know, once they turn 18, they go to, that's where they do their like undergraduate. But I think, right. you know, um, leaving home, leaving home comes with a lot, a lot of responsibilities that, that you just don't know until you do it, yes. until you experience it on your own. And you're like, if I don't go shopping or if I don't put a laundry, if I don't, these things are actually not going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is like, this is responsibility, but you know, within the responsibility, a lot of the time it comes, comes fun and just being able to balance, you know, See. everything. So I guess for you, I guess for somebody that is thinking, um, Lupe, 
about leaving the nest or taking that first step of, of leaving home. Maybe it is within, you know, pretty close to their parents. But I think, you know, somebody that left home once I was almost done with college is something that I highly recommend to, you know, to others. But I guess, what can you t- say to somebody, you know, how do they prepare their parents or how do they prepare to have this conversation, you know, telling their parents, I think it's time for me to leave the nest. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. Uh, you know, I, I always encourage people to kind of think about, you know, how they're feeling about it, what they feel they could gain from, you know, leaving the nest. And I and I think I tell people kind of talk to friends about it, develop your ideas and your thoughts before you have the conversation with your parents, right? Because it's such an emotional conversation to have. There's anxiety, there's fear. Are my parents going to be upset? And really finding a very kind of like gentle way to tell your parents, you know, I'm not leaving because I'm unhappy here or, you know, because I don't want to support or, you know, it's really more about helping your parents understand that their whole life they dedicated to you so that you could be a thriving adult. And at some point you deserve a chance to show them that you are that adult that they raised, someone that can thrive on their own, they can be independent, they can live on their own, right? And, And I think really being able to normalize for parents, like, if, you know, if we are your American dream, if we're what you came out here for, then you have to give us that opportunity to show you that we can do this, to show you that you prepared us, that you gave us the education, that you gave us the tools, you gave us all the skills for us to be able to live on our own and to, and to try and experience what that is. And I think, you know, normalizing that our parents do have a hard time with that. And it's a very emotional thing for them, but it's not impossible. You know, the more that you talk with them about it and the more you kind of explain to them, you know, why this is something you really want to try and do. um, I think with time, they kind of become a little bit more accepting of it. It's like, how do you massage this? But I think, you know, you raised such a good point of, of turning back, turning it back to them and saying, you know, I love you and I respect you and you have given me everything for me to be able to make this decision because you know this decision it it it's a lot it's a lot for you to to say you know I, I no longer want to be living under my my parents like now you're starting to build your own identity your own your own rules and boundaries within your home so I think you know being able to have that conversation with your parents and just say you know it doesn't have to do anything with you you have done everything you know to support me and to love me and to like you said you know maybe we are their American dream is seeing their kids being successful and being independent but when I guess when the actual time happens it, it's hard I when I when I left the nest my, my mom would was crying and every time I would go visit her like mm-hmm. once a month and I would leave back it, it would be tears but I would be like you know like I'm okay I'm, I'm surviving you know you should be very very proud but it's it's very hard for them to to come to that realization and then sometimes yeah. I would remind my mom like well you have to be strong like you know you're like my grandma because mm-hmm. you left her you know one time and you have to you know show strength but don't worry I'm like my other siblings are there with you so don't, don't worry yeah. you don't lose their, all of them hey. <laughs> So yeah, so thank you so much for for sharing that that how to start that conversation. But Lupe, for you, I guess, um, you know, talking to your parents about the career that you wanted, you know, and being, you know, being being a, a therapist, right? Like mm-hmm. for you, did it stem at a young age? You know, you were the the oldest of of your siblings, right? Yes. 
so how did you, how, like, how did you, how did this passion grow? Was it because you saw, you know, inequities? Was it because when you arrived to college, you saw this profession? How did, how did, how did that stem? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and it's a combination of a lot of things. And so one, I think being the oldest and being a Luisa, people gradually, you know, naturally come to you, right? Because you kind of have those mother instincts because you kind of had to learn them at a very young age. And so I was in my group, you know, growing up with my friends, people would constantly joke and say that I was the mom friend because I was always taking care of everybody, making sure everybody was okay, that people were, you know, if we were out and about, you know, people were staying hydrated, eating, drinking, that people were getting home safe. Um, and then in general, I think throughout high school, a lot of my friends would trust me with, you know, their the challenges that they were going through, right, that we were experiencing in our young adolescence, and they would ask for advice, or they would just vent to me. And, um, and I think everyone in my family, uh, you know, would vent, you know, in some way or another, or even my grandmother um, would vent to me a lot and would tell me that I was very wise for my age. And I didn't understand that. But I'm like, well, yeah, I had to grow up so, so fast, you know, and um, so I think people relied on me on that. And then I thought, well, you know, I don't suck at this and people keep coming to me. So maybe, maybe there's something there for me. Maybe there's more. Um, and so I think in high school, I kind of already knew I wanted to, to help people, but I didn't necessarily know that it meant therapy at that point, right? Because I was still pretty young. And then as I got older, I had not the best experiences with therapists because they didn't look like me. So they didn't understand my family. They didn't understand my culture. Um, you know, they didn't understand my experience, what it was like to be a first gen, what it was like to be the oldest daughter, the pressures. And it was very exhausting to me. And I thought, if I can change that, if I can be that representation, then maybe I can help my community. And when I started volunteering in like agencies, nonprofits, it was where I found my heart in a way. It was the community helping the Latino comunidad. And even though sometimes I will say it was exhausting because sometimes to these people, I wasn't just a therapist. I was a translator. I was somebody they trusted. You know, I would go into their homes and they would want me to read documents and legal things. And it was just sad to me about how much it mattered that I spoke their language and that I represented a community somebody that they could trust. And that really was such a privilege to me. And, and it makes me very emotional because I think it was such a gift to be able to help so many people, you know, you know, in my early stages of uh, being a therapist. And that was also like a first gen experience too, where I wasn't their daughter, but some of these people, you know, some of these folks were putting me in positions where they needed translators and resources because I spoke Spanish. Um, and it was a privilege, but there, you know, I think all of those experiences combined helped me to keep fighting and not to give up as a therapist, especially during this pandemic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And thank you for sharing. I think, you know, in, in some professions, you know, working directly with, with, with community members, it's, it's heavy, it's heavy work. And, and to carry not just, you know, the the weight of, you know, of these conversations, but sometimes, okay. you know, these, these families, their basic needs are not some things are being met or they're not their basic needs, such as, you know, being able to 
saying, oh, well, this issue came up. Like, they don't know how to even sometimes learn how to advocate. Mm-hmm. And that's some things that, that you, as you know, that you can connect with them and also say you can uplift them. But it's but yeah. when you uplift them, it's you you carry this weight. So thank you for, for sharing that, you know, yeah. with, with us and, and, and being very vulnerable. I think there's a lot of vulnerability when 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 you put yourself out there and say well you know it's not in my in my preview of my job but you you part of yours like well i was raised to help you know the most amount of people i'm raised to 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 see what i can do to help them but at the same time you know it's sometimes so much and and there's this burnout when it comes to to helping our communities but you know part of us is always wanting to 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 help out. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. So I guess what is this, like what was the next step? You had to go get your master's, and then how, how what did you have to take an exam? And then what it what it meant to I guess from your career from the start to right now to your I guess private business. Yeah. So when I first started, before I even started um, doing like deciding I wanted to go to graduate school, I had a job here um, just as a health navigator. So I was working with the community, a lot of um, you know low income in in a community that was undocumented, right? They struggled with insurance and healthcare. So I was kind of like a health navigator and would help them kind of figure out resources and kind of case management and things like that. And I, you know, and that really is the one place where um, it really kind of helped me decide what route I wanted to take for, to go into graduate school. And so, you know, I was working there and then I started, you know, I I applied to graduate school um, and it was a long journey through graduate school. I didn't have the luxury or privilege of having all this money to pay for school. Right. So I worked two jobs a lot of the times to go to graduate school. So mind you, I was a full-time student. So my classes I think were from like, I don't know, maybe five to 10 PM. Cause I would do the night classes and I would work, you know, morning. So eight to four, and I would beg my bosses or supervisors, please let me off at four. I have class like at five, you know, and then I would, you know, go to class. Um, and, you know, it was a really long journey because I didn't really know what I was doing right in graduate school. And sometimes I question, should I be here? Right. Imposter syndrome comes in and you kind of question, do I have a right to be here? Am I smart enough to be here? Am I good enough? And then I think at that time in grad school, in my cohort, in my class of, of students, there was representation. There was a couple of us that were, you know, from diverse backgrounds. So that really helped me. Um, but there was times that was scary as well, because the theories, the things that we were learning didn't reflect my community, right? And there was moments where I thought, I don't think I'm meant to be here. And I am so thankful that I continued to fight because I think back then I didn't know that I'm supposed to be the change, that I'm going to represent a different version of mental health, that I'm going to bring a voice for myself, for people in my community, and we're going to create a different way of mental health, a mental health that's inclusive, that really kind of, uh, that really aligns with my community, right? Um, And so I did that. and, And to go to, to do my master's, you know, you do your two years, right? My program was two years. Then after that, you have to complete 3,000 hours, clinical hours, in order to take an exam to get licensed. It's, and sadly, it's a very expensive field, right? Graduate school is expensive. 
It's expensive to pay for your exams. Um, and while you're doing your 3,000 hours, you're working in different settings. So you're either in community mental health, county, uh, a clinic, a pra- uh, like a group practice where you are registered as an associate, meaning that you are working towards licensure, right? And so while you're earning your hours, you still have to work. So I was still working two jobs, you know, while I was earning hours. And then you take your exam, you have to pay your fee. And if you take your exam and you pass it, then you officially get your license. And there's requirements and and things that you have to do every like two years to keep your license up to date, which is also, you know, it's an expensive process because you have to take continuing education and trainings and programs that you have to pay out of pocket, one, because it's important, and two, you want to be able to offer people the best care possible, so you need to continue to educate yourself because, you know, mental health is changing and people are are complex. So we have to keep learning and, and staying up to date on laws and ethics and just what's going on in the therapy world. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know how many hours See? it takes to, you know, just to take the exam and then, you know, obviously having to pass the exam is another whole other beast, but, you know, just being in that profession, I think it's, 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 it's very, very hard, but, um, you know, it's, it's very complicated. I think, you know, doing the work that you do, you know, being, being a therapist and just, just everything in general, but, you know, I know in the, in the beginning we were talking about, you know, how I, how your, how your dad, you know, saw, you know, your career. And I think that's something that I kind of want to come back to because, you know, mental health, I grew up, you know, with my parents saying, Oh, pues los, la, la ropa sucia se lava en la casa. Yeah. You know, meaning that you you don't go out and, and talk to people mm-hmm. about your problems. You fix your problems at home. And and I think that that mindset is what has caused, you know, our communities not to, you know, to flourish and to continue, I guess, to pass on traumas that have been passed on to them. But, you yeah. know, like, like you know, I always tell my mom, like, well, nosotros vamos a hacer la cadenita que cortamos so that it doesn't continue to pass, yes. you know, that it doesn't. So that, you know, the day of tomorrow we decide to have children, we don't pass that trauma that was passed on to you or that you passed on to me. And I know that you you have done everything in your power, you know, my both my parents to to raise us, to raise, raise us to be, you know, good human beings. But, yeah. you know, they didn't have the, the ability sometimes to to, you know, to show love or to show compassion or because or or they did in certain ways because they had so much pressure to accomplish the American dream, to accomplish. And, yeah. and, and sometimes, you know, they had to 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 survive. Rather, they were never in a place where, you know, they were thriving or they were, you know, so being, being, being able to be, I guess, mindful and taking time. Yes. So um, given those conversations, um, how would you recommend to somebody that wants to start therapy, you know, and, and, and wants to, their not their parents necessarily but their family you know to be supportive sometimes it's hard to bring up those conversations you know once you bring to your parents like oh well I want to start therapy they were like oh well what's going on like you know like how do, how do we start these conversations with with our family members yeah I think you know now lately um I think sometimes you know it's easy to kind of explain that you know there's so much going on in the world that sometimes 
you know, you just need someone to be able to process some of these things with and, and to tell, you know, your parents, you know, kind of set boundaries around, you know, la ansiedad es, es algo que es, es de verdad, you know, it's not made up, it's something that we struggle with, you know, and explaining to parents that, you know, we're healing so that we can have healthier relationships with each other, we can have healthier generations. And I think in the beginning, it's hard for them to understand, but really not being afraid to stand up for yourself and say, you know, this is an important part for me, for my healing. Um, you know, it's something that I think could really help me, can help me, you know, be a better person that can help me feel better. Um, and really, you know, normalizing for your parents, like, you know, you want me to be okay and you care for me and you would do anything to protect me. So this is a, a way that you can support me, that you can help me is by, you know, allowing me to, experience therapy and to see how that, you know, can help us, how it can help us, you know, have a stronger family or a stronger, um, you know, generation. And, and I think to not being afraid to talk to friends about it as well. Like if you have people that you trust, like who's your community and talk to people, normalize, Hey, therapy is something I want to do. I think it would be part of myself, a good part of my self care. It would help me maintain and balance because the, the, the reality is we get tired. We get tired and we need people to support us, to show up for us, to help us understand the things that we feel in our body, the things that we feel in our mind, to help us put a name to our experiences, to validate, to tell us, hey, what you went through is real. I see you. I understand you. You know, let's talk about it. Let's process it. Let's heal from it so that you can live a life that feels more fulfilling, you know, and a life that you know, aligns with you that feels healthier and safer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I don't know where I read where it's like, you know, people sometimes are tired of being tired. So that's when, you know, the change yes. kind of um, occurs. It's like, because they're just so fed up. And that's when, you know, it's like a moment that you're, it's like a moment of realization where it's like, I, I can no longer, you know, have do this on my own. I need, I need somebody to help me and walk me through See through certain things that sometimes we think are normal but in reality when we share these things people are like that's not normal it's not normal for you to experience that that's not normal yeah. and then getting that other perspective or validating you know your feelings allows you to feel like well you know they said this and it, and it's and i think the most important with therapy is confidential so you mm -hmm. like can let your your shoulders down and not feel you know as as a stress but i i guess for somebody that has never never done therapy and are thinking so i guess what is like the first step what what would you recommend them you know if they do decide you know therapy is for me what is you know how to start and i guess if you can also help us understand a little bit if there's any difference between therapy and counseling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in terms of kind of how to start, you know, you really want to kind of ask yourself, what is it that you're looking for? Right. Are you looking to process things to heal? And, and if you don't really know, uh, you know, that's okay because those, those are things that you can explore in therapy and kind of um, you can kind of navigate that in therapy um, but, you know, some important things to consider is one, you know, what is the background of the therapist, right? So do you need someone that identifies, you know, as Latina, you know, or Latin, you know, Latinx, like, well, how, how important is that for you, you know, for them to understand your cultural experiences, your background, do they need to speak the language, right? 
And then some other things that people, I always tell people to consider when they're looking for a therapist as well is the financial aspect. So one, determine if you're going to go through your insurance. And if you're choosing to pay out of pocket, I tell people, you know, really think about your budget. If you're going to pay out of pocket, what can you realistically pay every week? that is not going to cause a financial burden or a stressor, right? Because your basic needs still need to be met. And so you can have an idea of your budget, what type of therapist you're looking for, you know, what are some values or things that are important for you. And then once you do that, then it's going to be easier to look for a therapist because you already will know when you're looking for them. If they're not you know, Latin, then you're going to be like, okay, I, I want someone that, you know, has my background, speaks my language. So that already crosses out certain therapists. If you're saying I can only afford, you know, you know, $80 a week, you know, if you're seeing therapists that are charging more than that, then you also know, okay, I'm not even going to email them, because I already know that that doesn't really work for me. Right. Um, and then, you know, um, I also tell people come with questions, like you are interviewing a therapist to work for you right? You're hiring, you know, a therapist to support you with your mental health. So you can absolutely interview them, ask them questions to make sure that they really are a good fit for you. And after two to three sessions, if you're not feeling it, let them know and leave, right? Because you don't want to waste your time. It's really important for you to have a connection with your therapist. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, then you can let them know that, you know, it's not aligning, it's not working out. And that's the first step on learning how to advocate for yourself and your needs, right? So don't ever feel like you have to stay trapped in, uh, in you know, a therapy session with a the therapist, right? And, and I'm not saying it's easy to like break up with your therapist and that might be scary for you, but it's also better for your mental health to find somebody that actually is going to work for you. And then the point that you brought up about therapy versus counseling, you know, one, I will say that sometimes it's used interchangeably, right? So people will say counselor or therapist or therapy. Really what you want to make sure is credentials because that's what it boils down to. Either they're an LMFT or an LCSW. So LMFT is a licensed marriage family therapist. Um, LCSW is a licensed clinical social worker. I think there's also like LPC. I think it's LPPC or something. I, I could be saying that one wrong, but one, you want to make sure that they have the license to practice therapy because, you know, people can be counselors. So like example, you can be a school counselor, but they have a different type of education or credential program to be a school counselor, right? Or to be a counselor, or they might, they may have a, a, a license um, you know, they may be a marriage and family therapist, they may be a social worker, but they're still practicing as a counselor, right? So you want to be aware of their, of their credentials. And really with counselors, you know, you can be a church counselor. So that doesn't mean that you have any background in mental health, you don't even necessarily have to have training. Um, so when you're looking for a therapist, you know, read their websites, read their bios, make sure that they have the credentials to to be practicing therapy. And so and just being cautious that counselor, you know, can really mean anything. But typically, when someone is saying therapy or therapist is because they have the license and credentials to practice. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, that mm -hmm. makes that makes a lot a lot of sense. And I think in the beginning, you brought up such a great point about, um, you know, come, you know, you are hiring this this therapist this therapist mm -hmm. is there to help you so being, yes. being prepared to bring questions but i think another important 
part that that is, I think is important when starting therapy. Like, is there, I guess, like an end point? That's why I think you know coming with a certain issue is kind of helpful, right, Lupe? When it comes hey. to to when you come to therapy or like how to like because within therapy you also start to, to discover you know other other traumas or the things that you that you didn't know and that's when the therapist can can point out certain situations but mm -hmm. do you recommend like them coming in like you know hey like i'm just feeling so much anxiety from you know from my work or you know or you know my partner is giving me anxiety when they do certain things I guess is is that helpful for them to bring in like I guess some some topics or things that they would want to better solve or how do you how do you how do you tend to approach um you know when when seeking new clients? Yeah, I think for me, people typically tell me kind of what they're looking for a little bit, like they're wanting to work through anxiety or depression, but it doesn't mean that that oh that's it right. You're saying depression, that's all we're gonna do because like you said a lot of things kind of come to light throughout the, the relationship. So as we build the relationship, we make connections, we see things, we tie it back maybe to childhood or past trauma. And we kind of start to put the pieces of, of the puzzle of maybe how are all these external things impacting your mental health, right? Is it family? Is it work? Is it school? Is it capitalism? Is it society, right? Is it all of these systems that, you know, that we're, that, you know, we're having to be a part of, um, you know, so I think in the, in the beginning, you know, you don't have to have it figured out, right? Because you're barely starting your journey, but just think about some things that you would maybe want to work on, like, or maybe just think about some topics, like maybe I want to explore depression or anxiety, because you also want to make sure that that therapist um, has knowledge in that area, Because what I tell people, too, is that therapists, we're trained all, you know, we learn a bunch of different things and theories, but that doesn't mean we specialize in them, right? So, like, example, if someone wanted to come to me for addiction, you know, addiction and, you know, addiction, you know, therapy to work through, like, addiction, you know, I wouldn't be qualified because I don't, I learned it in grad school, but I don't, I don't actually practice it, right? I didn't continue any additional training or things like that, so... Just because we can treat something or or address something doesn't mean we always should because ethically we don't we're not trained in every single thing, right? We see we receive basic education on things, but therapists usually will choose to specialize in things or they'll get further training to be able to say, I can do, you know, addiction treatment counseling, right? Um, so if you come in with some questions and you can decide does this therapist have the background, the education and the skills to help me with the things that I'm needing? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense because well, some therapists do have a certain more expertise. Like you said, mm -hmm. they, they specialize on working with a certain population that wants to, you know, overcome maybe yeah. it's addiction, but you know, um, something that, I, that, you know, being a first gen Lupe, you being yeah. a first gen, me being a first gen, I think, you know, is that is that kind of a shared experience that you can have with your therapist you know that you can bring up of like hey it's really hard you know once you graduated you know there's like this post-grad depression where your life completely changes and you're part of you start to be part of this workforce and start you know you're 
your whole life changes. When I was in college, my life was like I was a server, I was a, I was a student, and I had sí. to balance everything. And now that I was like a working professional, you kind of let go of that identity uh, or let go of that of, of 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 what you have been doing for the last four, five, six years, sí. whatever yeah. time it takes you. So I guess. Yeah, walk me through, um, you know, what for you, if you ever, you know, work with somebody regarding post-grad depression and what that kind of entails, but also like, you know, how to, how to start building or start building from, from that, like, is it creating a routine, starting to find yourself again, finding those hobbies that yeah. bring joy? So I can share some of my personal experiences. So when I graduated, um, you know, from graduate school, I felt so lost. I was terrified, overwhelmed, because I think for the first time in my life, nobody was telling me what to do, right? Because as a recovering Luisa, like I always knew what I had to do for my siblings, for my household, right? And then in grad school, I knew what I had to do. They're like, follow this, take these classes and take this test and you graduate, right? So I'm like, okay, I know what to do. They're telling me what to do. But then when you graduate, nobody's telling you what to do. So you have to figure it out. You have to figure out, you know, how to live on your own, how to, you know, um, pay rent and all these things. And, you know, there were a lot of things that I had to figure out on, on, on my own. And, um, and it was, you know, and I tell people have compassion with yourself in the beginning, because it is challenging to, to, to figure those things out and to learn how to do things for yourself. Like, uh, you know, something funny that I can think back to is that, I used to make meals in my little apartment and I used to cook for seven people, like a meal for like seven people. And it was just me. And because I didn't know portions, I, because I was so used to cooking for all my siblings and stuff that I'm like, oh my gosh, I have like 30 Tupperwares. And then, so I would have to like call home and ask my mom and she would say, no, Mika, like you need to decrease the portion. Oh, si quieres hacer pozole, this is how much you need for the, for pozole for two people, Right. Um, you know, and, and really, uh, you know, what I tell people is find your community, find friends and people that can be your support as you're navigating that post grad blues, right, where you're trying to figure out who you are, you're trying to enter the workforce, find a community of people that you can talk to. And for me personally, after graduate school, I also continued my own therapy because I knew that I just needed support. I needed support to figure out how to navigate the world as a professional, as a first gen professional. And knowing that as much as I love my parents, they didn't really understand a lot of what I was going through, you know, and that wasn't necessarily, you know, that wasn't their fault, but I relied a lot on my friends, you know, my community that I built and on therapy to really kind of just help me feel like, okay, si puedo, like, I'm going to be okay. I can do this. Yeah, absolutely. I was laughing so hard a little bit because <laughs> when you said the portion part, yeah, that was so me too. Like I would cook so much mm -hmm. food and like, or, you know, when you cook rice, like the, you uh, know, when yes. you cook rice at home, like the rice, everybody will eat it. Cause there's like what, eight people, nine people eight. living in your house. And then, and then you were like, oh, well, let me make some rice here. And then it's like, oh, this rice. And you're like, what? like I'm eating rice, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I'm still finished. And it's so funny that you bring that up because I can totally relate. I remember those days. Now I'm like, no, this should be enough. You know, this should be, yes. a, be enough for, for me. Uh, yeah, that was so funny. But I think, you know, you hit a, a great point about, you know, once you graduate, it's like nobody is telling you like what's next 
what is next for you? I think, you know, being us first gen, you know, our parents were always telling us, well, you have to go to school. And then once you go to school, yes. you're going to get a job. But then that's it. You land the job, right? You, you get the dream job. Something that you have been dreaming as a child. You know, your parents have always talked about it um, and just really, you know, is glorified, glorified yes. being in the workforce. And then yes. you get there. And then it's like your expectations. You're like, this is it. This is what yes. I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then or I you're think heartbroken. Once you, well, what's that? <laughs> or you're heartbroken. Exactly. You're like, this is everything. Like, this can't be everything. This has to be a bad dream. And then especially when you start, like sometimes, you know, you're you're an assistant because yes. that's what that's the, the reality. When you enter the workforce, you have to build yourself. And with years of experience, you start, you know, doing the more work that you kind of enjoy. Or you're like, oh, yeah. this is what I really, really wanted. But I think that expectation or those things, you know, is really hard. And then you start to feel like, well, I have done everything and here I am and I'm still unhappy or I'm still not fulfilled. Yeah. Um, do you have like any any recommendations on how to approach that or how to, you know, start to figure it, figure out yourself? Because when you're in college, like you lose yourself, you lose your identity yeah. because you're constantly having to take so many classes and just you don't know who you truly are. Yeah. So I think for me, joining the workforce, it gave me more time to really focus and be more intentional with what I did after work. You know, what, what was yeah. in my control? Yeah, one of the things I always tell people first, once you graduate, slow down, like give yourself a moment to sit there and to celebrate the fact that you did something that maybe at some point felt impossible, right? Because we live in this culture, especially in our, our families of grind culture. What's next? What's next? What's next? Oh, you graduate, te vas a casar y los niños y all this. So it's like, it, sometimes it just feels like it's never enough. And so you have to give yourself an opportunity to breathe, to take a step back and say, I finished graduate school and I don't have to have my next 10 steps figured out. Let me take a moment to breathe, maybe celebrate with friends, maybe make friends again because you might have lost them when you fell off the face of the earth in grad school, right? And so, you know, make friends, build a community, maybe if you can travel, you know, and, and, you know, really take a moment to just soak in the fact that you graduated, that you hustled, that you cried, that you fell, that you got up and that you walked that stage or that you virtually walked that stage, right? That it was such a big accomplishment that our parents don't truly understand what it means to be a first gen graduate, right? It is the most terrifying and exciting thing that we experience you know if we get to get to that end point so enjoy it take time to breathe so that you can give yourself an opportunity to take your time to figure things out right like where you want to work and knowing that if you get a job I think the Gen Z population is really has been really great about not feeling like their job has to be for life right if they're like you know what I'm gonna work if it doesn't work for me I'm out I'm going to advocate for higher pay. I'm going to advocate, you know, for, you know, a good position. I'm going to learn to figure out what works for me. And I think a lot of us can learn a lot from that generation because for me personally, I wasn't raised that way. I was raised, oh, you get a job, you don't complain, you show up, they pay you what they pay you and you need to be grateful. 
right? And I think that that narrative is changing so much, especially within women, that we are now more comfortable to advocate for pay, to advocate for raises, to advocate for jobs that are better for us. And so, you know, really give, just give yourself time, celebrate, and then slowly you're going to start taking steps and figuring out who do you want to be? Like, you don't have to have your identity figured out right after college. Like I'm still figuring mine out. Mine's still changing because every year I'm different. I'm not the same person I was last year. And I'm really proud of that. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give myself permission to change my mind, to try a project, to leave it, decide I want to do something else because, you know, we're learning and and we don't really know our identities until we allow ourselves to experience things. Yes, 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 yes. Like, oh my God, but that, it makes me so happy that you bring this topic to light. I think, you know, just the identity that sometimes we close ourselves in that little box, you know, that mm -hmm. little box of saying, well, you know, I said I was going to be a lawyer, so I should be a lawyer. Like, no, that if the day, of, like today, you think you don't want to be a lawyer, it's okay. It's okay for you to yes. change and say, I'm passionate about something else. But I think we often forget that that when, when we were younger or we were the day of yesterday, See. we didn't have access to that information or we didn't know about certain professions. Yes. Or we didn't know about certain hobbies that actually can pay you, that 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 can actually be yes. your job. And I think that's that's something that is constantly changing. I think that's something so great of like generation, the, the future generations and generations um, Z because they're like, you know, TikTok. TikTok allows you to see what other people are doing mm -hmm. and that what what pays, you know, what, what the, the, the power of social media and growing in social media, like the whole time and having internet access like you're an expert in that but i think yeah. you know just just taking the time to say what do i truly want to do or why am i doing this like because mm -hmm. is it expectations because i said when i was you know seven years old that i was going to be a lawyer and i was going to defend you know communities like if that story is no longer serving you like let it go like it's yes. okay to let it go and let go of 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 that identity because and i know of course with letting go of those identities and those and those titles that we have, you know, created for ourselves, we also have to grieve that part, you know, grieve yeah. the fact that oh, it's yeah. no longer, no longer us and, and that we have to learn and we have to have this like girl mindset. But I guess let's talk a little bit about grief. Yeah. Because grief happens once you leave, you know, once you leave college or once you leave a certain project or you leave a certain, you know, you get married, you know, you maybe yeah. you grieve when you were single and, and it, don't get me wrong. Like there's, there's other phases in our life that, that are, that are amazing, that they're great experiences, but you also miss that old part of you mm -hmm. or you miss, you know, your home being with your parents and not, you know, having um, to worry about life. So can yeah. you like walk us about a little bit about the grieving process? Yeah. Well, one, I always like to say that grief looks different for everybody, right? So depending what culture you're from, your experiences with grief, and you can grieve many different things. You can grieve, you know, a home, someone that passed, you can grieve your college experiences, you can grieve moving away from home, you can grieve friendships that, you know, are gone, you can grieve maybe if you decided to not, you know, not to continue with your major or change your major. Um, and I think, you know, a really important thing about grief is that it's your process. It's your process. You determine, you know, 
how you heal from it, how you move through, how long you take to process grief. Um, because I, you know, I always tell people there's no timeline for it. You know, we're not going to rush and say, you know, society can be very toxic in the sense that it's like, oh, hurry up. Why are you still sad? Like, get over it already. And that's, you know, that's so toxic because, you know, everybody has a different way that they heal. And so I tell people, you know, take your time with it. If it takes you months, weeks, you know, a year or, you know, grief is a process and, and it comes and goes through different stages of your life. And it doesn't there's no right or wrong way to work through grief or to heal from grief. Um, yeah. And, and I just always say the process looks different because I'm always really careful to say what it looks like, because then, you know, somebody on the other side of this, you know, audio might say, well, that's not what it looks like for me. And then they might feel excluded. So I want to empower people to figure out what does that look like for them? How does their family experience grief? How did your family talk about grief? What did they show you? What didn't they show you? Because those are might be some areas to figure out culturally how you view grief and maybe how you want to view it and what you want that process to look like for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, but sometimes I feel that the first step is to to acknowledge it. I think sometimes yeah. because society is constantly like saying, no, like you shouldn't cry about that. That already happened. Like, you know, move on, be strong. And it's like, no, like I want, like it's like acknowledging that you are kind of experiencing it. Yeah. I think once you, once you're like, you know, you are self-aware of that, I think that's when, when the change feels real Mm -hmm. yeah and being able to have boundaries too to tell people you know what I'm I'm still grieving and it's a process for me you know and um you know I would you know I really would like you to understand that you know I needed some time right when your friends are like oh get over it you know you're gonna be fine it's like okay I, I understand that and I understand where you're coming from but also it's not fine I don't feel fine and I'm letting you know that I am grieving and that I am working through it right so not being afraid to call people out and you know and just stand up for yourself a little bit and say no actually I can't just get over it this is impacting me and I do need time right and being open and that's why I think the more we can normalize mental health the more we talk about it the less hard and scary these conversations are going to be with people because then if you normalize talking more about mental health you can tell your friend, actually, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing so well. I am grieving and I just need some time. And then your friend would be able to say, okay, yeah, like I totally, I, I get that. I understand that. Like, I'm here to support you. Let me know if you need anything. I love you. Right. And then you feel supported. So I think the more we normalize mental health, the more possible it's going to be to have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's about, it's a, it's about having those friends that you can talk about and say you know like don't feel alone like I've gone through something like this you know and maybe it's okay to seek therapy or it's okay like you know I I love you and I accept you and it's okay that you that you are, are you know experiencing that it's, it, it's it's okay and just being able to validate validate that feeling from somebody that is close to you that is that that you love I think yeah. can can make the, the biggest difference on on those very very you know tough days but Thank you so much, Lupe, for sharing all of yeah. this, um, you know, conversation with us and, and how to how to navigate, you know, some of these very sensitive topics, you know, with our parents and our families, but also um, 
how society, you know, is constantly telling us, do this, do that. You know, once you graduate, you should get married and have children. But it's like, no, my life doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be like that. But yeah. um, to, I usually like to end these, these conversations in these yeah. episodes. I really, really enjoy asking, um, what would you tell your younger self, Lupe? You know, what would, what would, you know, what would you tell her um, now of all the knowledge that you have today? Yeah, I think, you know, I would tell her, you know, when the world tells you no, you fight back and you say yes, right? In the sense that, you know, I had to struggle a lot in, in, in education growing up because I did experience a lot of discrimination and things like that. So I would, I, you know, I would also tell her, you know, your dreams, you know, keep fighting for your dreams. They're possible they're real, they're important. And when the world doesn't understand you keep fighting and keep going, because the world of entrepreneurship is very isolating and and people question you all the time. And I would tell her to trust herself, to believe in herself, you know, um, to go with her gut and let her know, like, we're going to make it. But, you know, you got to keep fighting for us because, you know, I'm going to be there on the other side and you're going to see that everything that you wanted to do in life is possible and that you will get there. Um, And letting her know that we were also going to heal, that we were going to heal and that we were going to keep healing. Um, She's such a big part of my life today. um, And I think about her all the time. So I I hope that she would be proud of, of where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. And you say it so beautiful and just like, so caring and so compassionate <laughs> to, to, to your younger self. And that's something that, that sometimes we're just not, you know, we are always thinking of what we should do next. We should be next. But once we come with that, like, you know, lovingness and that compassionate with, within yourself, yeah. then, then the whole world, I think becomes more tender and becomes more of a place where it's like, well, this is a problem now, but there's a solution to everything. I think that, that mindset, allows you to 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 comfort and say everything will be fine whatever you're going through everything will be fine so thank you for for sharing that with us and I guess um my last question Mm -hmm. what do you do for self-care like the self-care that yeah I I know self-care is 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 very thrown out there and it's like oh you should do self-care but what does self-care mean to you and how do you practice it So for me, self-care is really being in tune with my body and listening to what it needs. So like I always joke around that one of my biggest self-care is crying because I'm always down to cry. And for me, it's not weakness for me. It's me cleansing. It's me internally, you know, externally releasing the tension and the things that are in, in my body, right? The things that are hurting me, that are making me sad. So for me, cleansing is a crying is a cleanse it's therapeutic for me Uh, it feels great to release afterwards Um, so that's one crying which is not you know chocolates and bath salts and you know you know that you know but some other self-care for me is reading I love I love to read I've always loved to read ever since I was a kid so reading is also something that brings me a lot of joy Um, spending outdoor times outdoor spending time with my dogs and my partner Um, and then for me if movement feels safe, you know, for people, then, you know, move your body. For me, um, I do enjoy moving my body. So trying to go on hikes or things like that, that just feel calm, that remind me to slow down. Um, but yeah, I think those are like some of my main ones that kind of come up, come to my mind. Yeah, absolutely. And 
Okay, so when growing up, you know, I've always been a crier. Like, since yeah. that chiquita, like, like, ay, como lloras, como lloras. But now, like, I, I embrace it. I'm still a chillona and I love yes. to cry. But once, once, like, you cry, I feel like you, you let so much out. Yeah. Like, you're like, like, I didn't know that I needed to cry to feel better. I think, and that's something that, that, like, you know, that is, now when I see little kids crying, I'm like, go, cry, cry, let it out, yes, let it out. Yes. <laughs> Instead it's like, of like closing it out and not yeah. letting them, you know, cry. <laughs> yeah, it's just us, you know, reclaiming the fact that we're Chionas and being like, you know what? You didn't let me do it when I was a kid and I'm going to do it now. Like I'm going to do it now and I'm going to embrace that I'm a Chiona and I'm going to embrace that I don't always have to be strong, that I can be soft and that I can be vulnerable. And that's me reclaiming that part of my childhood and saying, no, I, ref I refuse. I'm going to cry. I'm going to be soft. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and then for other people, when they see you cry, they're like, no, don't cry. Don't cry. It's like, no, let it be. And like, we have yeah. to be able to normalize it. And, you know, for, for, you know, you know, my husband, he doesn't like, he doesn't cry. He's like, man, he's like, I wish I can cry like you sometimes, you know, but I'm like, it's okay. It's just, you know, you were grown to say that men or boys don't cry. Yeah. So it's being able to change that. And I was like, it's okay. You, you can cry. It's okay. Nothing. You will still be a man after you, yeah. after you cry, you know? Yeah. That release. Yeah. And just normalizing with friends, like crying doesn't necessarily mean that the world's ending it's just just give them space say hey you need a car cool let me if you need me I'm, i'll be right over here do your thing mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and spending time outdoors is another one that i yes. truly also enjoy and it's something that 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 really reconnects you with nature and really puts you and you're like well this tree is growing you know and it's slowing down yeah. and then you that's one for me it's like it allows you to say you know what my life doesn't have to be such in a hurry. Like I can slow down. I can, yes. I can go to the supermarket once I'm already finished with my cafe, you know? Like, I love like, that. Yes. Yeah. So I appreciate having this conversation, Lupe. I, you know, thank you so much for sharing your time with, with our listeners yeah. and just being able to share all your knowledge and, you know, whoever, you know, is thinking about being in this profession, you know, feel free to connect with Lupe. Yes. Lupe has been a resources and we met through a book club and that's how we I were able that. to connect yes. and through other mutual friends. But thank you so much, uh, Lupe, for this conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. You know, it was a it was a privilege to be here today and, and I enjoyed this conversation and hopefully, you know, there's, you know, some good things that people can can get out of it. Thank you so much for joining me this week. To view the complete show notes and a recap of today's podcasting tips, visit here comes the sun underscore podcast Instagram page. Wait, wait, wait. Before, before you go, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they release. You can either subscribe right now in the app you're using to listen to this podcast. Lastly, I do have a quick favor to ask before we go. If you're enjoying this podcast, I hope you'll let me know. I love reading through your reviews in Apple Podcasts, and if you have a minute to spare, I'll love to read yours too. Please let Apple know that great listeners like you enjoy our show and that it helps us expand our reach and search results. So it really does make a difference. Thank you again for joining me, Marisol, on this episode of Here Comes the Sun. I'll see you next time. Bye.